Hi, hi, hello. This is Dr. Michael Edwards from the Schuster Center. We are on location at the beautiful Hermosa Inn in Paradise Valley at the Transitions and Life Planning Workshop. And I am joined by Dr. Matt Carter of Omaha, Nebraska. That's me. Hi, Matt. Happy to be here. Yeah. So how are things going for you so far on this trip? They're going great. Um, the whole reason why we came out here is because we've been in, I'll put air quotations in, transition in our office for uh, a number of years for uh, becoming a fee-for-service and trying to serve our, our patients really well. So this has been a quite a ride, and we're trying to learn more because the transition's just been continually uh, getting better, and our practice is getting better, and the way that we serve our people is getting better. So, so what's involved in that? How's it getting better? So, it, let's start with this. If it's better, it means it was worse. <laughs> so, what did it used to be like? That's perfect. Yeah, it used to be a lot of me telling patients how I could serve them instead of trying to figure out like what they really want mm. and trying to help them get to that. So, you felt it was more selling. Oh, definitely more selling. Yeah. It, it felt like manipulative, almost dirty. Like I've got this great thing and you need to take advantage of it. Got to have it. So I've got to figure out strategies to help you say yes to the work. Yeah, yeah. And when people didn't say yes, it, it was hard not to take it personally. Mm -hmm. Like a rejection of what I was offering them wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting because uh, I guess there's two sides to that. When things aren't going well, when people don't get good case acceptance, it's either the patients have low value, mm -hmm. their insurance, or I guess they're insurance oriented, or the third thing would be that it's something that I did. They're saying no to me. Right. And I would go to that. To third would be my... Uh, uh, the third one, I would take personal responsibility for it first. I was like, well, what am I doing wrong here? I'm trying to love and care for this person, and they're completely rejecting that. <laughs> let me it? love you. <laughs> Just Why won't you let me love you? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's perfect. Yeah, that's funny. So so um, what did you do? So that was the fork in the road. You got tired of that at some point, I'm assuming. Yeah. I got tired of that. And, and then what did you do to, you know, create this new future and this new practice that you're transitioning to? What happened during that period? The neutral zone. Ooh, the neutral zone. The free fall. Um, well, just I guess the realization that what I was doing wasn't, it didn't match up with what I thought I was doing was a huge... Uh, what does that mean? Uh, it means that I thought I was helping care for the person on... Uh, I, was, I thought I was giving them what they wanted, but it wasn't. It was all about me and what I could do for them. And just learning the, the difference between those two things was really big for me. Because at my heart and, and it, at my core, I really want to help someone get what they want to get, not what I can do to them. But the way I had learned in dental school and uh, shortly after was that I had to sell and sell fast um, because I only had five minutes with a person to make this quote-unquote sale. 
Yeah, so... And I detested it. I just so the school it. experience was a volume-style experience. Absolutely. Very interesting. And right after school, I got shepherded right into a, a volume uh, type of office, which was uh, corporate, and it just it matched up with school fine, but it didn't match up with who I was very well at all. Mm-hmm. You're exper- you were experiencing what I termed a crisis of coherence. <laughs> Basically, the heart said. or my soul wants one thing. My brain, I've been taught and drilled into me another, mm-hmm. that I can't slow down and see spend time with one person, that I need to see multiple people an hour, that I have to present treatment chair side or something like that. Yeah, it splits your soul from your work life, and then it's a very uncomfortable yeah. position. So, you know, I know you went to the Schuster Center, Mm-hmm. So what? What? How did you climb out? Is it, did the Schuster Center happen before this? What you're talking about, or after? Uh, after we, that's a fun story. I uh, had a friend who was having Dr. Schuster uh, in town. Uh, it was a collaboration between him and, and T.J. Bolt, who's uh, a mentor at the Schuster Center, a wonderful man, and. Uh, I was invited by uh, this periodontist that we refer to quite a bit to come listen to Mike speak. And the last thing I wanted was to learn another uh, person or another school of thought on, on how to do finances with your office, which was, again, volume-based typically in our experience. And I had uh, a really bad... Uh, experience with a similar outfit right before and I was invited to this thing and I was like nah you know the last thing I really want to do is is go listen to someone talk to me tell me what I'm doing wrong but I kept feeling like a tug that I needed to be at that place so um, I was I remember I was hitting golf balls it was like my one of my rare times where I had some some me time I just kept, it, the thought wouldn't leave me alone that I actually needed to go see this. So at the last minute, I, I packed up my clubs and, and just went and showed up. And uh, I got to meet Dr. Schuster for the first time. And he started speaking on how uh, you can't divorce your work life with your spiritual side. And I had never heard that at any point in my education. So he had me at hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he started speaking that way, and, and since then, it's just been an upward, wonderful climb and journey. So spirituality was important to you? Extremely. Yeah. And what was that from your upbringing or something that happened later in life? Uh, it would have a lot to do with my upbringing. My mom was a very spiritual woman, my dad as well, it, even though that wasn't, it wasn't a, a forced growth. That was really big in the household. Like our participation in church was big, our understanding about what God was about was huge. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like the later parts of my education, I had gotten so divorced from that that I really was not doing who I was. Yeah. And, and through the Schuster Center, you were able to bring both worlds into one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a you great know, way to say up, it. Upgrade the practice and incorporate more of you into it, which right. I think is one of the cool things the Schuster Center does. It's not making little copies of Dr. Schuster. Right. It's finding out who you really are at the core and then saying, now, how can I create a practice around that 
it's also profitable. Right. Yeah, that's right on the money. It, it allows you uh, your own unique individuality. It gives you a framework to be successful in it. Yeah. So w- tell me, so the practice, yes, became more of a reflection of you, but financially, how did that go as you went through the center? Like before, mm-hmm. before you started the center, do you know what your overhead was, for instance, uh, or profitability? I, I did not until we enrolled. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, the At the time, I believe our overhead, if I remember correctly, was somewhere towards 85, 90%. It was... Hold on, we have to have the scary music because it really anything that, over... That was scary. That was very scary. <laughs> 90, you know, so there's not a lot of profitability left. No. I mean, uh, were, we you were, guys, busy. Were, you, were you guys hitting a million a year? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things I had picked up in school, that if you made a million a year, all of a sudden you had attained some kind of righteous level of wonderfulness. Yeah, that's... It's a million dollars. That's beautiful. Everything works out now, right? Right. And... So we hit that our first, well, we had 970 the first year I took over. That was, uh, let me back up a little bit. The guy that I bought the practice from, uh, that was like his main goal was just to hit, hit a million. Hit that one million. So then if you hit a million, your overhead is 85 to 90 percent. So you're going to have 100, 125 left over. Yeah. And then taxes. It's miserable. And then loan payments. Right. In the first year, though, when you're writing off so much, it, you don't have that big. Well, uh, had you ever had a business? Yet. Have you ever had a business before? No. Okay. So terrible at it. You hear the idea <laughs> of write offs and depreciation. You're like, yes, That's let's a good go. Thing. Yes. Let's go. Open the checkbook. Yep. I want write offs. Yes. And I got them. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that first tax bill? Uh, so we didn't get the first tax bill until our second year. So the first year we thought we were just doing cartwheels and the butterflies would flutter and the birds would sing. But the second year when we got our first tax bill, our accountant hadn't given us any, uh, heads up. And then you could put the creepy music again if you want to. What was it? How much was the tax bill? I think it was fourteen thousand five hundred, and I didn't have any anything saved, so. <laughs> you are good at that board. That's Maza Joy, <laughs> giving us some sound effects. So you, you that doesn't sound like a horrible tax bill, but you had been paying taxes in all year. Oh no, I was used to for every year since I had started working getting a a uh, a refund on. Oh, so, because you kept buying. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I well, get it. You know, when you're when you're working at, uh, well, what, I was doing like limousine work and you're getting minimum wage plus tips. Um, I could see you doing limo work. Can you? Yeah. That's what paid for my uh, phone bill with the lovely and talented Dr. Torres. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which the oh, phone bills great. were more than I ever paid in taxes. It was a long distance relationship. It started that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, let's fast forward to you know now after the center. Sure. So, um, before the center were you in insurance networks? Oh gosh. <laughs> yes. So, like 90% of our practice was uh, based on insurance. Okay. And 
what that worked out to be is that uh, depending on the program, we would write anywhere from 45% of what we did to 60% of it off. So I'm getting a picture of, I mean, you got a lot of chairs in your office too. How many chairs would you say at that time? Because you've taken a bunch out. We had, I think, 10, 9 or 10. And were they filled most of the time? Yes, we (laughs) had... uh, two docs and four hygienists and each doctor ran two rooms and right it was busy so about how long was the hygiene exam <laughs> like uh, a recall exam would probably be about maybe five minutes maybe seven if i got chatty yeah so it was a fast moving office yeah not making a lot of money no time to sit yeah no time and, to talk um, i would imagine <laughs> That if the income isn't coming in, the the conventional wisdom would be either see more people or work more hours. Mm-hmm. So what'd you do when we? Well, we had the crisis of like this isn't working, so we went and got a management company to help us do that. And it was both. It was you need to see more people. Um, it wouldn't hurt to have like a an auxiliary assistant to like do more. So you're doing more work in the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had entertained the idea of getting a hygiene assistant so we could run more people, more through, people through hygiene. And what did that do and to we, your heart center? Oh, <laughs> you know, it was not good. It, uh, I remember at the end of that program, my wife and I having a moment where we just completely broke down. I'm not ashamed to cry, especially when I'm overwhelmed, and that that was one of those moments. It sounds like it. Yeah, it was really terrible. So you enroll at the center. Mm-hmm. How long did it take before you started feeling good about the direction you were going in? Uh, what turned around first? Pretty much the first time I met uh, Schuster was a turnaround. That was I knew I had to go in this direction. I was committed the second he came out and evaluated our practice. Even though you said, well, you know, I don't invite everybody to come right. along. I was like, well, you won't have a choice with me. I got to I gotta have this. Yeah. Because this is uh, part of who I, I could feel that that was what I wanted to be. And that's what I wanted our office to be. So, yeah. so I had we, to do it. So you start the program. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously would have started with money in your practice and you right. know, finances. To, so you could transcend money and begin to focus on time with people and more of what you want to put into it. How long did it take before you started feeling some money, some space develop in the money arena? Um, now, that is an interesting question because for all that we've advanced, <laughs> my um, better half has uh, kept up with that with um, so you had lifestyle creep or as as you start to get money it's like oh let's go do this we have time and money to do this yes yes so but the practice is more profitable it sounds like definitely so you've got money to do these things Mm -hmm. so you've had spells of greater profitability but also spending has increased as well yes Uh uh-huh interesting and now you've both so it's self-discipline yeah yeah part of it yeah Mm mm-hmm but I'll tell you what, as far as like uh, from the standpoint of of uh, of doing what I'm 
placed on this planet to do. I feel so much closer to being able to provide that for somebody and being able to have the skills to have the conversation so that someone understands what I'm trying to offer them. Right. And that couldn't have come about without the Schuster Center. So Yeah, and you're, you're moving through the OBI curriculum as well. So you're almost finished with that. Yeah, you're going to be a level done. four graduate. I know. I feel you're going to join the Highlanders. You'll be one of 308. <laughs> <laughs> thought there could only be one. Yeah. That would be a problem. And how's that changed dentistry for you? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, there's a lot to uh, not knowing what you don't know. <laughs> OBI was a game changer as far as, like, opening my eyes to what what's out there, what's... Uh, what can actually go wrong with a chewing system that isn't based in biological problems mm-hmm. like bacteria? Like the whole I- idea of where uh, I had been blissfully unaware since uh, since going to dental school, really. They would touch on where and talk a little bit about occlusion, but I had no idea of what health really was mm-hmm. and how to make that happen in somebody else. So... Right, OBI was a huge gateway into learning, number one, how to recognize what's going off the rails, but number two, like what to do with it to help someone achieve their best healthy self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, in dental school, you you would see somebody with worn teeth and and the advice was you make a night guard or you wait till they completely wear out and then it's 28 crowns. Yeah. And you restore. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think... OBI helps you see what health is supposed to look like so you can notice it at the earlier signs. Mm -hmm. But then you also know what to do with it. Right. And it's such a cookbook approach, too. Yeah, and I think if I had done that before the Schuster Center, I probably would have fell on my face with it because I had no idea how to to talk to people about it. Well, you had no time either, it sounds like. No, no. Yeah, very good. All reactionary medicine. Well, let's pick this up on the other side. This was fun. Okay, thank you. Yeah, but I think we got some more to... Or to explore. Oh, that'd be great. Can't right. wait. Thanks. Okay, and we're back with Dr. Matt Carter. It's me. Hey. And uh, we just finished a great day at the Transitions uh, meeting, mm-hmm. Transitions in Life Planning. And I wanted to pick up where we left off with, you know, you're completing your OBI residency. Yes. And, you know, you're able to offer this great thing to patients and you're doing that. You, you've got a lot of cases going now. Mm-hmm. Um, that only happened because you got control of time early on and money early on. So you're obviously not having all those chairs filled. Do you still have 10 chairs in your practice? Uh, no, we've cut two of them out. Uh, I have two, but I seldom use the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife has two as well, and she seldom uses the second one, partly because... It's ancient. <laughs> yeah. It's like but it sounds like crazy. you're seeing you're you're down you're seeing one person at a time. Right. Is what and it sounds like. What what I've found is that I'm much better at helping people when I'm helping one person rather than trying to help twenty really fast. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what's your process like then? How do you how do you help one person with their individual needs? What do you do? Uh, so at the very beginning we it's completely different from when I was a corporate dentist where we spent 
uh, we tried to cut down our time with the patient as much as possible in order to be as efficient as possible. Um, we spend at least a half an hour talking with uh, somebody up front just so I can learn what they're looking for, uh, what they expect of me, what they want to get out of dentistry in general. So we set some goals, and it, it's a totally different way of practicing. It's totally in line with who I am. Because mm-hmm. then I can, I can work at helping them achieve what they're going for rather than what I want to do for them. Mm-hmm. So you start out with some type of a meeting or as a consultation setting. Yeah. You find mm-hmm. out about the patient's goals, what they're wanting, and then what happens? Oh, let's see here. That's a great uh, question. We, we uh, hang on. I'm going to edit we this compare? out. I'm going to edit this out. Uh huh. So, this is the the guided tour part. You know, you take them on a guided tour. Yeah, that's just what just, I was going to yeah, say. Go into something like that. Yeah. And then just kind of finish with your process. That you know, if it's if there's simple needs, we could talk about it that day. Sometimes it needs more study for yeah. complex needs, and they come back for a consultation. Yeah. So just do that, okay? Okay. Three, two, one. So uh, we start first with the, the conversation, and after that we move to um, trying to find out what the patient has. So we work together to find out what the patient has. It's, it's working with the patient so the patient sees what I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have some understanding of where they're at. And that way we can go from there to goal setting and make a plan together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that takes more appointments than just the one. And that would, I would think that builds a lot of trust that you would see a lot of trust from patients mm-hmm. if it's no longer, I'm the doctor, I'm telling you what you need right. from my point of view, but saying, you know, what's important to you? What is it that you want out of this relationship? And then now let's see where you're starting from. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause then, and then they can ask, uh, questions intelligently like well i'm here and i don't want that how can you help me to get where i want to go right so they're really involved and they like that because they're the ones that have the power not just me telling them what's wrong with them right and um you know just to contrast your earlier life in corporate dentistry which corporate dentistry tends to be single tooth problems right whatever the problem of the day is Mm mm-hmm What are you helping people do now, and what are you passionate about in dentistry? Uh, I am passionate about helping people get exactly where they want to go, and if they realize they're in in trouble getting out of it earlier rather than waiting till uh, there's so much wrong with them that it's a a big number that that they have to fix, right? So uh, I absolutely love the fact that I'm actually practicing preventive dentistry where we're preventing problems rather than waiting for things to blow up, which is completely different than that corporate style that I alluded to earlier where you were, like you said, you're just responding to a problem, fixing it, patching it for a day, and then there's another problem two, three, four months later, six months, whatever it is, there's always another problem to solve. So I, I really like the aspect of being able to help somebody achieve the level of health they're looking for. So that's my love. It's the mm-hmm. greatest thing in the world because it, it's just so rewarding. and It's amazing. That's great. 
Well, thanks for agreeing to do this. Was it easy? It was easier than I thought. I thought it was going to be like I broke out in a sweat at first because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm mic'd. I can hear my own voice. Usually I hate that, but this has been a totally blast. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah. And enjoy the rest of the conference. Oh, I will. So, all right. Well, that's going to be it for Dr. Matt Carter, Omaha, Nebraska, and Paragon Dental. Yep. So uh, next up, we'll be interviewing his wife, Dr. Teeks Torres Carter of Paragon Dental.